Hey everyone, Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Hey, everybody. If you want to tell the world something or sell the world something, head on over to Squarespace because they're going to help you build the website of your dreams. Say you want to sell some custom merch. Well, you can set up your online store, whether you sell physical, digital, or service products. Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. So go to squarespace.com slash stuff right now and you will face a free trial. And when you get ready to launch, use our offer code stuff and then you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. How could you go wrong with Squarespace? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry. We are dancing on the ceiling. Whoa, what a feeling. That song holds up, by the way. I heard it recently. Oh, yeah? Why don't Richie holds up, my man? Yeah, sure. The Commodores? Great stuff. Great, great stuff. I think, like, two of the most underrated bands of the 70s were Earth, Wind, and Fire and the Commodores. I think Earth, Wind, and Fire was... Underrated? They were a super well, star group. Underrated as far as like today, like, I don't know, you don't hear a lot about that kind of thing. Mm. It's all like about the big rock bands. Yeah. Oh, you mean like Badfinger and Foreigner and... Bog <laughs> Hat. Like, yeah. Is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah. But maybe they weren't underrated. How about this? Two of the best bands from the 70s were the Commodores and Earth, Wind & Fire. I agree, man. Rated just perfectly. I've said, well, I and I, I don't mean to be argumentative. No. I, I mean, I've said that before. Like, I wonder if Earth, Wind & Fire is possibly the greatest band that's ever been. They're pretty amazing. They are amazing. And the different sounds that they, they took on. Absolutely. Like, it was never just like, you know, we hit it and we're going to stick with it. They were not like ACDC, in, in other words. And ACDC's <laughs> great, man. They got their thing. But they figured it out from song one, and they're still doing it today. Simple rock riff played over and over and over. Right. Yeah. But it works for them. Yeah. Earth, Wind & Fire, man, they tried it all. Yeah, and please don't write in about the complexity of ACDC. I love ACDC, but they will even admit that they do one thing well. Yeah. Which is rock. Yeah, it's a blues riff. I used to think they were heavy metal when I was a kid, which is very funny to think about. Yeah, you know, first heavy metal band? they're not heavy metal at all. Who was it? I always hear Black Sabbath, but I suspect it goes back before that. Uh, Sabbath is usually kind of counted as the first. Yeah. But it's all sort of variations of the blues still. Right. You know? All comes down to the blues. That's right. Now, ain't nobody leave here without singing the blues. <laughs> Can you name that movie? Is it Crossroads? You would think, no. It's the opposite movie of Crossroads, Adventures in Babysitting. Uh, that is the opposite of Crossroads. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I remember that part. Uh, so, base jumping. Mm-hmm. Has nothing to do with the blues unless you die. Right, unless you're one of the base jumping fatalities. And one of the dudes, which I will touch on later, uh, wrote one a big base jumper wrote an article like uh, like how to get started, Tom Aiello. Uh-huh. And one of his frightening things he says is, if you are not ready to die base jumping, then you are not ready to base jump. Yeah. 
I ran across that kind of sentiment too. Um, like the dangers are so vast that you can anticipate being injured almost certainly at some point if you do a lot of base jumping. That's right. That's absolutely true. Yeah. I mean, like, it's pretty much the next step in danger is to just jump off a cliff without any parachute <laughs> at all. Yeah, and I think one of the, uh, that's if you, like, I don't think a lot of people base jump once, then they're like, yeah, that was kind of neat. <laughs> Yawn. Like, it kind of, beca- it's your like, it becomes one of your driving forces in your life. Base right. jumpers are all in. Yeah. That's the best way to say it. Um, And I, I remember it kind of, like, came up in the 90s, wasn't it? It was like. It became a big deal in the nineties. That's when I became aware of it. But yeah. it, it's it's way older than that. Well, it's a couple decades older. It's about a decade older than the nineties. It's from the late seventies, I guess is another way <laughs> to put it. Well, wh- before we get into the history, let's at least say what base jumping is, because some people might live under a rock and they don't know what base jumping is. It's actually an acronym. It is. What does it stand for? Uh, it stands for buildings, antennas. Spans, aka bridges, and uh, Earth, aka cliffs. Yeah, buildings uh, are probably quite a rush to jump off of, but they're tough to get in. Yeah, and you're most certainly doing something illegal. Yeah, you're. There's pretty much not a building in existence you're legally allowed to jump off of. No, unless you have a special arrangement. <clears throat> I'm sure. Meaning you've lined the mayor's pockets with cash. Yeah, or if you're doing, you know, I imagine some of like the Red Bull team. Arranges for a famous jump. Right. And Red Bull lines the mayor's pocket well, yeah. with cash. <laughs> All right. There you go. Uh, the antennas are super popular, um, cause they're not as heavily guarded, but they're still really tall and they're usually out in the middle of nowhere. Right. That's very appealing. A little less risky. Right. Um, uh, not uh, for death, but less no, risky for being caught. Right. And for, um, causing injury to other people, which is a big thing with sure. buildings. Yeah. Yeah. Antennas, it's like you're going to injure a cow that you run into. Right. You know, who cares? <laughs> uh, spans, uh, these are very popular, not only because it's fun and gorgeous to leap off of a bridge, like the New River Gorge uh, Bridge in West Virginia. Thing that connects this podcast to? Bridges. That's right. Um, but because sometimes it is legal, like the one day of the year that they have bridge day there. Yeah. Um, there's also one in Idaho where it's legal year-round. Oh, really? With that, without a permit. You can just go and jump. And there was actually a fatality there. A guy set his parachute on fire as part of a stunt and died. Oh, I, did, I pulled that article. That was just a few weeks ago. Was it that recent? Yeah, it was in late May. Oh. I had the impression it was a couple of years back or whatever. Yeah. So he set his parachute on fire and died? Yeah. Yeah. He's a 73-year-old guy? Right. Yeah. 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 Unless it was just an updated was uh, version, then it is old. Hmm. But or it's new unless it's right. I got you. But uh, yeah, he set his parachute on fire with the aim of throwing another parachute out. Right. And it was just not a very smart thing to do. No, his his flaming parachute I think continued on without him. Mm-hmm. And I guess his other parachute I think he, he just came out of his other parachute and never deployed. Yeah, it's on YouTube, which is sad that they yeah. have that stuff. There's a lot of that on. There's a lot of base base jumping and skydiving deaths on YouTube. Yeah. Tons of them. Well, you know why? Because they all film each other. Well, yeah. Thanks to the GoPro. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and finally, Earth. Uh, and that is when you're jumping off like uh, El Capitan or a cliff or a fjord. Pretty, what? 
It's just like it, the word fjord. It sounded like the list could have just kept going indefinitely, you know? Nah, I do like the word fjord, though. It's a good word. You you rarely see an F and a J next to each other. Yeah, that's true. They don't get along historically. All right, so you want to talk about the history? Yeah, well, I think before we get started, we should say, Chuck, that um, no one should base jump ever. Us. We certainly aren't <laughs> saying that you should. We're just talking about base jumping. Well, you should definitely um, do what we talk about later, which is how to get started in base jumping and follow those rules. Get don't, started don't in base it. jumping. Think about base jumping and then don't do it. <laughs> I think it's super cool. Like I can watch those videos all day long, Yeah, but um, not for me. Yeah. As far as execution. I have to say also, I ran across a video that to me is even scarier than a base jumping video. And it was these two dudes. I don't know if they were Ukrainian. They're part of the former Soviet states. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember where they're from. I'm sorry. But they just climb stuff. Oh, I've seen it, dude. And they climb the... Like the, with their iPhones, they're like, look at where we are? Yeah. Like yeah. no ropes, no harnesses, no parachute, no nothing. It makes me want to vomit. I almost fainted. Yeah. I literally <laughs> almost fainted watching this video. I've totally seen that, man. They were climbing the, the world's second tallest building. I can't remember what it was called, but the um, it's in China. And the tops of other skyscrapers are hundreds of feet below them. Yeah. There's cloud, the cloud line is below them. Mm-hmm. And they're just standing on this antenna connected to nothing. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no fear going whatsoever. They, no. They're not capable of it. Like you have to be just completely out of your mind. Like they're, they're, like they're broken in some way, shape or form <laughs> to be able to do that and not just, like I think I'd probably just be like, I'd just let go because I'd want the terror to, to be over one way or another. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And these guys are just like, hey, how's it going? Like giving each other five yeah, and stuff Yeah, the up whole there? thing just makes me nervous. Oh. Have you seen the trailer for the new, uh, you know, they're making a movie about the uh, the uh, the guy who did the high wire walk between the Twin oh, Towers? Oh, I did see that before Mad Max. Yeah. Which is awesome. Did you like it? I left Mad Max and I was like, I want to go buy all the Mad Max toys now. <laughs> I want to see all the sequels they're going to make right now. Yeah. I, I just, it was a great movie. Well, you came in wearing that iron face mask. I thought it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, I made it myself. Could you tell? <laughs> Out of aluminum foil and rubber bands. <laughs> Long story short, which is not true, uh, that, that trailer for the, uh, Robert Zemeckis movie with, uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt. Yeah. Um, that made me want to vomit when he just, I was waiting for it, too. It didn't hit me like that. Oh, man. Well, it's just a teaser. He just basically, like, walks up to the top and looks and says, like, in his mind, I want to do this. But he just stands up on the edge. Right. And I just, I can't take that stuff. And it's based on the guy who actually did that in real life. Oh, yeah. Um, for uh, And they made a documentary about it, I think, back in the 70s called Man on Wire. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, and a dude in the mid-70s who is a high-wire artist illegally went up to the top mm-hmm. of the World Trade Center and climbed from one tower to the other on a high wire. Yeah, great documentary, and uh, the, I have faith in this movie. And I think it's in 3D, isn't it? Or it's going to be? I'm sure. I don't, I don't do 3D, I can't though. imagine that one, though, in 3D. I saw Tintin in 3D. It was all right. Yeah, I'm not into it. I mean, I know what you're saying. Did you see Mad Max in 3D? No. no I didn't either. I don't see 3D anymore is what I'm saying. Did you like see? At all. <laughs> did you ever see? Uh, was it Friday the Thirteenth Part Three came out in 3D? Nope, that was a good one. That was back when 3D stunk. Yeah, you know, 
Oh, yeah, when it was like you, things look still kind of blue and red at the same time. Yeah, like now it's supposedly good. I just don't enjoy it. And the, the cardboard glasses were cutting into the bridge of your <laughs> nose and you were bleeding on them. Man, we can get sidetracked. Although that wasn't much of a sidetrack because uh, we talked about, you know, high wire walking. It's an extreme sport. That's right. Just like base jumping. So we're talk- we're going to talk about the the history of base jumping. Yes, uh, if you talk about the the distant history, um, early nineteenth century, there were some things going on that is essentially like base jumping. Uh, there was a dude named Frederick Rodman Law, and he jumped um, off the Brooklyn Bridge at one point. Yeah, and, and the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, and the Bankers Trust Building on Wall Street. And this is in like the nineteen tens. Yeah. So, I mean, technically he was base jumping, but these were just one-off stunts at this point. Yes. The same as in 1975 when Owen Quinn leapt from the World Trade Center. And uh, there was another guy named Ron Boyles who jumped from the Royal Gorge Bridge in Colorado. So all this is happening, these little one-off stunts. And then in 1975, this girl named uh, this guy named Carl Banish, there's a documentary about him actually called Sunshine Superman. Yeah. It looked, did you see the trailer? It is. It looks really good. It does. Uh, and I think that is uh, like now that that one's coming out. Yeah, it's in 2015. Yeah. Um, so he gets this idea. He goes to Yosemite to film some hang gliders. And these hang gliders, there's three dudes on a single hang uh, or a glider, I guess you call it. Right. And once they get out over the land... Two of them drop off. And I think they're flying off of El Capitan, which is like a, a few thousand feet tall, right? Uh, I don't know how tall it is. It's pretty tall. I think it's like 3,000 feet tall. I mean, I've seen it, but from the bottom. Okay. Very impressive. Yeah. Um, so these two dudes, Rich uh, Piccarelli and Brian Johnson, they dropped off. They parachuted uh, into the valley below. And Carl Banish was like, very interesting. I think we're on to something here, fellas. Mm-hmm. And so he got uh, Rich Piccarelli in uh, 1978 and said, let's do it, brother, and let's go to El Capitan and jump off of it. Right. And the guy's like, like for, forget the hang glider. Leave that at home. Yeah. Instead, like, wait. Okay. Yeah. Apparently, when they went scouting the, the place to see if you could just basically base jump off of it, um, they lowered Banish over the edge on like a rope. And they heard him shout, Eureka, we can jump from here. Now pull me back up, please. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Although, from what I gather from this guy, he's probably like, you guys can just go. I'm going to hang out here for a while. Yeah. You know? That's true. Uh, so on August 8th, 1978, he took this new crew uh, back to that location. And uh, he, I think, was just filming at the time. And one by one, they jumped. And if you look at this documentary footage at the tr- on the trailer of Sunshine Superman, these guys... Like way before the GoPro, they're wearing like these toaster ovens on their head, essentially <laughs> right. attached to helmets. Because even back then, they wanted to film stuff. You know? Oh yeah, apparently Carl Banish, like for that first jump, he had a, a number of different cameras going for different angles. And um, when he was documenting it, he would make people like do different takes of like walking into frame and stuff like that. He'd be like, "Okay, no, get get back and do that again." So he was like, "Walk again, yeah, yeah." Uh, well, that's why they have all that great old footage still, yeah. I guess, thanks to him. Um, sadly, he died. Uh, base jumping. Base jumping. <laughs> but he was uh, doing it solo, I guess, in 1984. Um, he he did a solo jump off a cliff in Norway, and um, no one saw him die. 
but they figured that he probably was steered into the cliff um, that he jumped from, yeah. which is called an off-heading jump. Right. Which is one of the bigger dangers in base jumping, as we'll see. Oh, sure. Well, that's where he originally, um, I don't think we mentioned that these two guys, uh, Michael Pelkey and Brian Schubert, were the first two that he heard of that actually did jump from El Capitan, but they did it with the old school round paratrooper parachutes. And they got slammed into the yeah. cliff face again and again yeah. and again. Breaking bones and foots and legs and things like that. There's a, That's another video. There's a, a, um, a woman who skied or who base jumped and she got, um, she got, she went on to an off heading uh, opening. Is that what it's called? I believe it is. Um, and you just see like she's getting just directed right into the, the cliff face again and again. You're just, I can't imagine. I mean, it killed her, but I can't imagine how anybody could survive something like that because you're going so fast. Yeah. And all of that velocity is just being slammed into a cliff face. And then you'll bounce off and float away and then just come back in again. You're, yeah, you're at the mercy of nature at that point. Right. But that's what happened with those two dudes in the 60s, the first two to parachute off of El Capitan. Yeah. Um, and Carl Banish was like, I don't think they're, the idea of jumping off of El Capitan with the parachute was wrong. Mm-hmm. I think their gear was just wrong. Yeah. And that's why Carl Banish is credited as being the father of, um, of base jumping because he applied the techniques that are now the hallmarks of base jumping. Yeah. Different and the gear. Equi- the, and the equipment. Yeah. Yeah. And he was also the guy, if you complete all four, uh, phases, uh, the B, the A, the S, and the E, then you are assigned a number, and he's the one that started that. But um, he was base number four, though. He wasn't even number one. Because he was filming people, I think. That's right. Because his wife was base three. Right. And uh, so he was a feminist as well. He wasn't like, good, good to be in front of you. Yeah, you're a girl. Uh, so base one uh, was Phil Smith from Texas. And as of now, it's hard to get numbers. Then they point out pretty reasonably that a lot of these things happen that are cover of night and they're not reported necessarily but as best as we can tell they're uh, they're up to like base 1800 plus yeah at this point that's what i saw too and that too is those are people who have completed again all four phases buildings antennas spans and uh earth earth and originally it wasn't called base it was called best yeah it was going to be uh buildings earth span and tower yeah so they just rearranged it a bit. Yeah, apparently Carl Banish's wife Jean said she liked best best, but Carl liked bass, um, particularly because the first definition of the word was a platform on which something stands. Yeah, so it makes sense. And before I knew, I've known for a while it was an acronym, but before I knew it was an acronym, I just thought that's what it meant. Like you go stand on some bass and you jump. Oh yeah, you know. Carl Banish would have been proud. <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right, so let's take a break, and then um, we will talk about some of that gear right after this. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. 
There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. All right, dude. So if you want a base jump, you just get an old 1960s army parachute and you go at it, right? Yep. <laughs> Add some, uh, get a, um, a weight vest. Yeah, for yeah. Scuba diving. Uh-huh, so you can some fall ankle faster. weights. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know. A pair of sunglasses, maybe. Yep. Drink a gallon of whiskey. Yeah. And just fall <laughs> off of the cliff. That's right. No. 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 What you need is the right gear. And what they found out pretty quickly was that something called a ram air parachute. And these are the ones that you see nowadays. You don't even see the round parachutes anymore. I guess you do if you jump from outer space. Or if you're like a kind of a hipster vintage a skydiver. Hipster skydiver. You know what I mean? <laughs> we need to do one on skydiving, I guess. But um, Yeah, I guess we haven't. No. Yeah. Because I was like, this doesn't sound familiar like we've spoken about it before. So I was like, nope. we're doing base jumping before skydiving. Yeah, I like that. That's the opposite of what you're supposed to do, especially if you're actually base jumping. We do, Well, that is true. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Ram Air Parachute is the one that you see uh, a lot now, uh, mostly now, which is the one that is uh, rectangular, and they give you a lot more control on where you're going, uh, because you want to be able to steer this thing pretty quickly. Right. So you don't slam into the rock, because that's one of the, the two dangers, is slamming into the rocks, <laughs> or slamming into whatever, the building. Right. The two dangers are slamming into the thing you jam- you jumped off of. Yeah. Which is apparently the the more frequent danger, or other things around, I guess. Right, uh-huh. or slamming into the ground. Sure, and for, like your chute not opening or something like that. Yeah, and I think mostly though, most injuries occur from slamming into structures, right, and not uh, a improper deployment. Right, and the the thing about the Ram Air parachute is it's this um, rectangular parachute that allows you to maneuver yourself. Guide yourself, mm-hmm. increase or decrease your speed. You're much more in control than you are with a round parachute, which basically just slows your acceleration towards Earth, right? That's right. Um, and with with a ram air parachute, uh, it, it works so well that when you are base jumping, you're faced with a problem. Because when you're skydiving, you have a lot of time. You're jumping at like oh, well over 10,000 feet usually, right? You get to free fall for a while and then say about 2,000 feet, you open your chute mm-hmm. and your chute can just take all the time in the world to open. Well, ideally it happens pretty <laughs> directly. Yeah, but yeah. It, it's not like 
packed and then open. Right. There's a there's a process that does take place over the course of maybe a second, a second and a half. Yeah, I know what you mean. That makes a lot of difference in going from free fall to floating, right? Yeah. As far as your body's concerned and as far as changing your velocity and direction. Well, with base jumping, you don't have that amount of time. You need your chute to open pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And so when you, th- when you open a ram air chute, all of a sudden it can basically snap your neck. It opens so, so quickly and jerks you up. Yeah. Right. And since you have a lot of uh, velocity because you're in free fall, when your chute opens and all of a sudden, you're not free falling any longer. Mm-hmm. You're transferring some of that velocity to the chute, which can slam you into that cliffside. Yeah. So there's some some things that you have to to deal with if you're a base jumper that a skydiver wouldn't have to deal with. And there's been some clever solutions to those things. Uh, yeah. There's one device called a slider that uh, basically reduces the rate at which those parachute lines spread out. So it's not going to deploy as quickly and snap your neck in half. Or not your neck, but well, I'm not sure what would happen I, if yeah, it jerked you hard. Or your snap spine your or something. It could tear you clean in half. Okay. But a slider is just like this piece of fabric that that slides down the lines. And by doing that, it gives you a measure of um, control over how fast your chute opens. That's right. Uh, you know the little pilot chutes? Yeah. Like if you've ever seen a, a skydiver, they're... There's that little chute that comes out, and then that helps deploy the big chute. Same with funny cars. Uh, Do they have a pilot chute? Mm -hmm. Really? The good ones do. (laughs) Uh, So you have a larger pilot chute if you're a base jumper because you talked about velocity. There is some velocity, but not like you're skydiving. So you're actually going a lot slower in most cases unless you're really, like, you know, jumping off something super, super tall. Right. So you're not going to be at like terminal velocity, which is what you count on for that chute to open real fast. So because you're not going as fast, you want a larger pilot chute so it can uh, gather more air to deploy the real chute faster. Right. And since you don't have that velocity, you also don't have the same amount of air pressure you would if you were at terminal velocity. Right. So that larger pilot pilot chute gathers more air, e- even in dis- it balances out the fact that you have less air pressure. Right. So, yeah, it's going to open your chute faster. And um, you talked about if you were skydiving, normally, if your chute malfunctions or something, hmm. not good, but you've got your backup chute and you have time, which is key, hmm. to think, well, things aren't going well with my regular chute. Let me deploy the backup chute. Right. Base jumpers first, let probably me make, don't even have backup Let me make some chutes. toast. <laughs> yeah. I'll eat my toast and then I'll deploy my backup chute. In the toaster oven on my head. <laughs> right. <laughs> But um, a lot of times, base jumpers don't even have backup shoots because it's, there's just not enough time anyway. Right. It's not like they're like, screw it, man. Although yeah. they probably are. You know, they're extreme dudes and ladies. But even if they were like, I don't want to screw it, I really want a backup shoot, they're, they're, they're totally useless, basically. Hey, Josh wants a backup yeah. parachute. Woof, woof. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about that shoot uh, and the accessibility. Um, if you've ever seen... A base jumper jump off with the parachute wadded up in their hand. Yeah. That is a thing you can do if it's a, a shorter jump because you just want to be able to throw that thing out almost right away. Right. Um, not a lot of free fall going on in that case. No, if it's a little higher than that, they might just pack that pilot chute like in their pocket or something like that. 
but that leaves their hands free. Mm-hmm. And then they'll just reach into the pocket and pull out the yeah. pilot chute rather than using a rip cord to deploy it. Yeah, most of the base jumping, I think most of the rigs today have like a Velcro flap type of scene Yeah, that they use. It's not even a rip cord necessarily. Gotcha. Just sort of packed in a pouch, a Velcro pouch. And you just pull the Velcro off? I think so, and just rip that away. Gotcha. Again, I will never do this, so I'm just going on research alone. Same here. No interest. Um, if you're below 300 feet, you might uh, even have to use a static line, and that is when the um, there's a line actually attached, uh, I think, to the thing you're jumping off of, right? Yeah. And it just immediately opens up. Yeah, it like pulls your pilot chute out. Yeah. Um, and then it disconnects from it, hopefully. Yeah. And um, that guy, Frederick L- Rodman Law, mm-hmm. who jumped off of the Statue of Liberty, that was a static line jump. Yeah, and no, like when you see paratroopers, uh, like one after the other mm-hmm. in, a, in a plane, yep. a lot of times those are static line jumps. Yep. They're leaving. Yeah, when they're leaving, there was, there's a cord that's left behind after they jumped out. Yeah, that thing just pulled their pilot chute out. That's right. That's a low altitude jump technique. That's right. Um, I think off heading opening is that what you were talking about earlier? Yes. That's when you deploy the chute again, and um, you just start going crazy. Yeah, because again, you especially if you're in free fall, if you have an, a couple of seconds to to go into free fall with no chute deployed, no resistance other than your body. Um, you can build up a pretty decent amount of velocity, and when your chute opens all of a sudden, you transfer that velocity to your chute, and your chute can spin you around in another direction, and all of a sudden you're going back toward the cliff or back toward the building, or, yeah. and you, you can be in big, big trouble. Yeah, and while you have some control, it's not the kind of control that you're used to, like in a car or something. Yeah. You know, you can't just be like, ooh. Let me stop immediately and go in the other direction. Yeah, and even if you are an experienced um, base jumper or skydiver, it's not like you 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 are using the the cords on your parachute as often as you are like on your car. So it's not necessarily as uh, natural a reaction as it is to like steer your steering wheel out of the way of an oncoming truck. Sure. So it, it can be very easy to pull the wrong way or do the wrong thing or not react quite in time. Even though that ram air parachute is giving you more control, you, 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 you have to think so fast. Yeah. And under such sudden stress that you might not make the right decision. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that, um, Tom Aiello says, uh, think about if it's right for you. He said that, um, it's a good fit, or it could be a good fit. If you are intellectually curious, you have good reactions, you respond quickly and correctly without having to think during an emergency. And you're very organized and detail-oriented. Like, if you're sloppy, if you're lazy, <laughs> do not base jump. if you take too much time to suss out an emergency, you're not going to be a good base jumper. You don't even try it. Don't even try it. No. So um, body positioning is important. Um when you deploy that chute, and I think the super safe way to base jump, if you call it that, would just be to jump off head first mm-hmm. in that traditional face-down form. Of course, now you see them doing like flips and tumbles right. and joining hands and spinning each other. And yeah. those are like the serious, seriously experienced show people. Right. But even when you do jump off and you're, you're face toward the earth, yeah, right, and you're... Um horizontal parallel to the earth mm-hmm. with the chute deploying behind you um you you don't want to take necessarily the um normal skydiving 
pose with your arms out and your legs splayed. Yeah. You want to keep your arms at the side and your legs together and basically turn yourself into a bullet going away from the structure that you just jumped off of. It's yeah. called tracking, and it can um, reduce your chances of an off-heading opening. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. You want to get a far, as far away from the thing that you just jumped off of as possible. Exactly. And the best way to do that is to turn your body into a bullet that's being directed in the opposite direction. Yeah, and I just, I, let me correct something. When I said that these um, people now tumble and flip and do all those things, they do, but they still, when they go to deploy the chute, will end up in that traditional position. Right, right, right. It's not like they're upside down. They're like, this is a great time to throw out my parachute, <laughs> right. you know. Um, there was a pretty cool video that surfaced in the last year or two, I think, of some guys who jumped off the new World Trade Center tower at uh, night. Yeah. Uh, it's just crazy. A lot of base jumping happens at night for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. which seems super scary. So we'll we'll talk about um, the legalities and the ins and outs of base jumping right after this. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. All right, so why, my friend, uh, is base jumping a fringe sport besides the fact that you could kill yourself? Uh, well, it's a, it's kind of a sport of outlaws. That's right. Uh, the Grabster wrote this article, and as he puts it, even if the jump itself aren't, isn't illegal, gaining access to prime jumping spots often involves trespassing, mm-hmm. picking locks, climbing fences, and deceiving security guards. I'm sure that is all part of the rush. Yeah. De- you know? de- deceiving security guards is a felony offense. <laughs> <laughs> What's that from? Or do you just make it up? It's kind of a dazed and confused reference. Oh, yeah, yeah, Remember? yeah. Tampering uh-huh. with mailboxes <laughs> yeah. is a federal offense. Here he says felony offense. Man, some of the uh, small parts in that movie, I, I'm pretty convinced, were just regular folks. They weren't actors. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they were just friends of Linkletter who lived in Austin. Yeah. For like sure. a lot of the adults, like the convenience store guy and 
Oh, yeah. Then that He guy. showed up in, I think he's in Boyhood. Yeah, he played the convenience store guy yeah. in Boyhood. That's a pretty I'll nice little callback. But he's a convenience store dude. Um, so the National Park Service, uh, obviously national parks are pretty popular because they have tall things and they don't have many people and they don't have many cops or park rangers. I mean, if you talk about the land mass, <clears throat> you're not going to see a park ranger for days sometimes. Yeah. So the national parks are like, sure, base jump all you want, right? <laughs> no. For a little while, um, certain parks would allow it with a permit. Um, Yosemite and El Capitan, they let that happen for like a few months mm. before they realize it's probably not a good idea to be on the hook. Yeah. Well, I mean, the park service experience with base jumping from the start was a, a bad one. Yeah. Those two guys yeah, who jumped exactly. in the 60s had to be rescued and like medevaced out of there. At great cost. It, yeah. The, the the National Park Service had to foot that bill. Yeah. So just from the get-go, they were like, yeah, base jumping sucks. Please don't do it here. But there's and there was a law already on the books against mm-hmm. having a parachute in the national parks. And apparently um, it was to prevent hunters from resupplying using parachutes. Oh, really? Yeah. It had nothing to do with base jumping. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So like a supply drop? Yes. So like, no, if you want supplies, you have to go out and then come back? Yeah, I guess so. They're like, oh, I need some more ammo to blow some deer's head off. <laughs> I want a parachute. <laughs> so nowadays, you're going to get fined a couple of grand or more. Um, you're going to uh, get arrested. You're going to have to pay for any cost of medevacking you out. Yeah. They're going to take your gear. It's an expensive proposition if you get busted uh, in a national park base jumping. Yet take it still your happens. Gear. That all sounds the time. like such a school principal move. Yeah, I'm taking your parachute. <laughs> your your parachute has been confiscated. And they put it in the drawer. You with can the, have it back at the end of the semester. With the chattering teeth and the <laughs> right. <tube. laughs> right. Um uh, buildings is always illegal, almost always always illegal. I didn't see one single building where it wasn't illegal. I didn't either, but the fact that the article says almost makes me think there might be one. Okay. Or maybe it meant if there's an arrangement. Right. Like there's a, a great video of, of two guys. I think they were Red Bull guys. Mm-hmm. Jumping off of the, the, the building in... Uh... Dubai? Yeah. Did you see that thing? Yeah. That was nuts, dude. Vince Reffitt and Fred Fugan from 2014. And again, thanks to the GoPro, uh, you can get all of this stuff. Like the footage is amazing because mm-hmm. you always have someone jumping with you, at least one other person with a camera. Right. Um, just filming you. And then they have cameras set up for the wide shots. And I mean, these dudes did, they flew in a spiral around the building. Yeah, they did some pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, I mean, I could watch this stuff all day. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> Again, not interested in doing it. <laughs> I would skydive, though. I'm going to do that at some point. Mm-hmm. That seems less risky. It is much less risky. Yeah. And, I mean, when you go, you they, they like, sit you through a class, and, mm-hmm. like, it's just much more structured and formalized. One of the things about base jumping is that you... Um, like, normally, if you're a base jumper, you're doing it after you've already become an experienced skydiver. And you're probably being taken under the wing of an experienced base jumper. Uh, Ideally. Whereas with skydiving, it's like, this is a business. Come sit down in this airplane hangar and watch this video. And 
Um, I'm going to teach you exactly what you need to know. We're going to go up, and it's been we've already done it 50 times today. Yeah, it's like a for a tandem jump. It's like if you've got 75 dollars yes. and sign a waiver, then you can jump out of a plane this afternoon. Exactly. Yeah. Which is, and they're still very scary. Yeah. Have you ever done that? Huh. I did a tandem jump. And, yeah. Yeah. It's very scary, but I can I I just can't imagine a base jump. Did the person? The one thing I worry about with the tandem jump is. I would just want the person to shut up behind me that's attached to me. Yeah. I like, mean, I would want to experience it just myself and not have someone in my ear going like, bro, check it out. Isn't this awesome? <laughs> I think if that happens, the skydiving company gives you a free, another free one. If you're like, <laughs> the guy was saying bro in my ear, I want it, I demand another jump that's uninterrupted. See, I figured all of them did that. Like, you having fun, man? Isn't mm, this great? No. I, I don't know. I mean, not... Not that I know of. Because I would have felt bad saying, I'm very excited, sir. Can you but please can keep you, it down? Just, can you shut up? <laughs> I'm experiencing the majesty of this experience. Well, I just don't want to be reminded that someone's attached to my uh, <laughs> right. my butt. Dude, there's a video of a woman who is um, doing a tandem jump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> first to start off with, she's holding on to the sides of the plane and is pushing back on the guy who's trying to push her out, the oh, tandem jumper. So she's fighting the jump? He has to grab her wrists and pull them in and and then push her out. Is that legal? I, I wouldn't think so. And then secondly, she's obviously not, she's not wearing a suit. She's just wearing her street clothes. So she's got like her arms in the harness, not hooked into the harness, just her arms are. And almost immediately she starts to slide out. So she's doubled up with like her legs and her arms, like at her face, her feet sticking into the air. Is this in Turkey? Just hanging out. I, I don't know where it was, but just it, it didn't appear to be in Turkey. Or Dollywood? Right. <laughs> um, but the, Dollywood never allows something like that in her part. <laughs> I mean, you'd be offended. Um, and, and she survived. They lived. But like the shoot, it's just like the, the pilot shoots just hanging out at first. Wow. And you're like, what is going to happen? It is so. Scary. And to, to start, the woman obviously didn't want to do this. Yeah. She gets forced out of the plane and then like almost slides out of the harness. Well, it sounds like she was like doing her taxes and someone abducted her. <laughs> it kind of looks you know? that way, actually. Send me that video, will you? I will. Very interesting. And it's not a movie? You sure? It didn't look like a movie. I'm like, wait, that's Kathleen O'Hara. <laughs> right. That's Romancing the Stone. Uh, That's Kathleen Turner. I know. And I think it's it Catherine O'Hara. Me, it made me think of romancing the stone. Yeah, I hear you. Um, Catherine O'Hara? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. I don't know why I thought of her. She just seems like someone who'd be down with that. You know? <laughs> she was the mom in Home Alone, among many, many, many other things, right? That's right. That's Catherine O'Hara, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, she's an SCTV vet? I think so. Jerry just nodded. So at least she knows what SCTV is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it says uh, guarding your spots. What base jumpers don't want to do is, is mess it up for other base jumpers. So they say like the worst thing you can do is either get hurt or, or killed. Mm-hmm. Cause that's going to be a dead giveaway. Um, literally, mm-hmm. um, or just, you know, being a, a, a jerk, getting arrested, drawing attention to this otherwise cool spot to base jump. Right. It's a very secretive thing. Yeah, it's among the code. The code. I couldn't find the where what it referenced, but apparently there was a base jumper in Atlanta who got caught trying to jump off of a building. I looked for that too, and some other base jumpers like went to his house and beat him up yeah. for like bringing heat onto their sport. <laughs> Locals only. 
Um, yeah. You know, that like is the surfers. point break, yeah. Well, the new point break is our base jumpers. Why Why can't know. Hollywood come up I with a know. brand new concept? <laughs> like, even if all of the good ideas have been used before, right? Yeah. And, and everything's still a category, like a spy movie, a bank robber movie, a um, a romantic comedy. Like, all of these things are still just categories. There's still room for creativity, still, that you don't have to go, what movie was big in the 80s? Let's remake it, except worse. Mm-hmm. It's, it drives yeah. me crazy, man. I've not seen one remake, with the exception of Mad Max, that was worthwhile. Well, that wasn't a remake at all. Was it supposed to be like a prequel or something like that? No, it's just a, it's, I guess you would call it a reboot. It's just like. A reboot. Here's a new version of a character that's already been established. But it's not like canon, as they say. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, so, but do you, do you agree? Oh, of course. I, can you think of, okay, can you think of one thing that was already done from the 80s, like a good movie from the 80s that was redone recently or even added to? That was better? That was even good. Um, I'd have to look. I mean, there's probably a couple, but not many. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It it's always seems like a bad idea, for sure. <laughs> Let's remake Ghostbusters. Or just let Ghostbusters exist as great. I'm reserving judgment on that one. Well, it may be good. They've got a great director. and Who is it? I think it's Paul Feig. From, uh, he directed Bridesmaids, but he was a uh, he did a lot of the Freaks and Geeks back in the day. Oh, okay. He's a very smart and funny guy. For some reason, I thought you were talking about Mike Figgis, and I'm like, that's, no, that'd be very strange. Yeah, that's who's directing <laughs> Ghostbusters. Um, can I read a little more about how to get started from this guy? Uh-huh. Tom Aiello, I think this was in, uh, was this an Apex from the Apex website? Yeah, Perhaps. I think so. Um, so after checking yourself to see if you're a good fit, like I said, if you're have good reaction time and handle emergencies well and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Then uh, make the decision to do so. And he said, uh, in my short time in the sport, I've seen two life flight helicopters from the outside, two more from the inside, inside the back of a uh, police car, several broken noses and a funeral. I've also spent three weeks in intensive care and 18 hours in neurosurgery. Wow. So his contention is if you base jump like hundreds of times, like most of those people do, you will get hurt at some point. Mm -hmm. And that, you know. Just know that getting into it. Um, and uh, um, people do die. Oh, yeah. From what I saw, 180 people have died since 1981. But that was as of February 2012. And by the way, I think we should say, like, we're making a lot of jokes about how you can die base jumping. It's obviously super tragic when I, someone dies doing anything. Uh, yes. So I don't want to, you know, make it like we're taking, uh, like, making light of that kind of thing. Yeah, I didn't think we were, were we? No, I just wanted to make sure. I'm sensitive okay. that kind of thing. Well, sure. Yeah. Someone dies is tragedy. Yeah. Especially when they die young. Yeah, which most space jumpers, except for the 73-year-old. Right. Who lit his parachute on fire. And again, I giggled. Not funny. You're just going to... This is like an Ouroboros. I know. I think I get uncomfortable about death and I make... And I laugh. Man, have you ever seen that one King of the Hill where Khan is giving that... Sp- that eulogy at uh, Buckley's funeral. <laughs> and he talks about the man who's being chased by a tiger. And the tiger chases him off the cliff. And the man starts to fall, but he stops and he grabs himself. And he holds on by this root. Uh-huh. And it turns out it's a strawberry plant. 
And he says that he knows at that moment that he is going to die. Yeah. And he reaches up and he plucks a strawberry from the strawberry plant and eats it. And it's the sweetest strawberry he's ever had. Nice. It's I a remember. great, great scene. Like they animated it in like the this Chinese illustration. Oh, wow. Um, it's that. really great. I remember when he first met Khan, when Khan said he was Laotian. He was like, you're from the ocean? Right. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. So where were we? I think five or six have died this year. So more than 180. Dean Potter and Graham Hunt. Dean Potter is like one of the the biggest like extreme dudes out there. And he uh, passed away at Yosemite recently. Really? Yeah. He was doing the wingsuit flying. So that's pretty nuts in and of itself. It's amazing. You know, I was looking at some of that stuff you sent me. I was looking at some wingsuit stuff. And I thought, like, why, why would they not put wingsuits in the top of tall buildings, like in office towers, just like you have life vests on a boat? I think because it takes a lot of experience to successfully fly in a wingsuit and deploy your parachute. The thing is, though, like... Well, like, why not just put parachutes? Yeah, I mean, why not? It okay. just seems like <laughs> seems like a good idea. I would guess wingsuits are a lot cheaper. Even if it's a terrible, cruddy wingsuit, it's still worth the shot. Well, have you seen some of those videos, the wingsuit flying? It's crazy. It's amazing. Like, humans are flying at yeah. this point. There was one um, There was one I saw. I don't remember if you, you sent it to me or I, I stumbled across it, but they had a camera set up in, like, this grassy meadow. Oh, yeah. And this guy comes and flies right overhead. It looks like he's like 20 feet off the ground. Yeah. And the grass like moves like yeah. an airplane just flew over it. Yeah. Like it just ripples. It's unbelievable. Um, like I was going fast. That started in the late 90s. Um, the modern wingsuit was developed by a guy or squirrel suit because they they're like little flying squirrels, basically. Right? Yeah. Uh, Patrick de Gaillardin in France, um, he died at 38 from base jumping. <laughs> Are you guys seeing a pattern here? Yeah. <laughs> like a lot of base jumpers died base jumping. Yeah. Died young. Uh, that was based, though, on an earlier design by this guy, this uh, base pioneer, John Carta, that they called the Birdman. And he was a Vietnam veteran in, like, the 70s. He was creating these wingsuits wow. that didn't work nearly as well, but he was still jumping off of stuff. It, I probably worked good enough to jump out of an office tower if it's on fire. He died, too. But I don't think base jumping. No. I think he died like in a plane crash. Banana peel. Probably going to skydive. Um, but the, I mean, you can fly, I think the record, I don't know if it still stands, is like five, close to five miles of flight mm-hmm. in a wingsuit. Wow. I believe it. In uh, four or five minutes. Wow. It's pretty amazing. That's like a mile a minute. That's 60 miles an hour. <laughs> so the final few things you should think about... Um, Make sure that you are always prepared to not do anything that doesn't feel right and not be afraid to back down. That's a big one, is to be able to say, nah, this isn't good, mm-hmm. because I don't want to die. I don't want to base jump successfully, is the goal. Right. Um, and this one is horrifying. Um, tell your family and write a sealed letter to your friends and family on the event that you die, explaining exactly why you have decided to take up base jumping and what you get out of it and why you're willing to risk death. Give sealed copies to your family and your base mentor (laughs) to open in the event of death. Right. And then um, make at least 200 skydives as his. uh, And then sort of mimic base jumping as much as you can. Like, wait as long as you can to open. Do a lot of tracking. We call Mm -hmm. it max tracking. Yeah. 
uh, find a mentor, get a good base rig, and he suggests spending the money and taking an actual class from a manufacturer. They have uh, called first jump course classes. And um, he said, even if you have a mentor, even if you've done it a hundred times, mm-hmm. just spend the money and uh, make sure you know how to do the rigs and everything correctly. Good Wise advice. words, Aiello. Yeah. Wise words. <laughs> this is Danny Aiello. Um, base jumping expert. You got anything else? I got nothing else. If you want to know more about base jumping, type those words in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. Look up Paul Aiello. Yes. And Paul Feig. And Mike Figgis. Yeah, and then don't base jump. Yeah, just stay at home and watch base <laughs> jumping videos. You can do that all day long. Um, and since I said search bar, I think somewhere in there, it's time for listener mail. I don't think anyone's ever died watching a base jumping video, have they? You could. Yeah. But it's probably because you you just eaten seven or eight pounds of Taco Bell. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. You and died in the like, toilet. Well, that's it for me. Yeah. All right, I'm going to call this uh, New Zealand ma- New Zealand gang, the mongrel mob. Uh, hey, guys, I'm from Wellington. I thought I'd share some light on one of New Zealand's more prominent gangs, the mongrel mob. Uh, they began when a group of mainly European Utes from Wellington and Hawke's Bay in the 1960s. Uh, the mob wears red regalia, often fusing the cultural tattoo work of the Maori people. I feel like we talked about them in the Maori episode. Oh, we may have. The mongrel mob? Either that. Is it a motorcycle gang? Mm, I don't know. I'm sure some of them have motorcycles. So I think we did talk about them in the Maori episode. I think they're a Vespa gang. (laughs) (laughs) They're Vespa toughs. There's one driving and then one riding side saddle and back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, As well as portraits of bulldogs with their tattoos and occasionally Nazi symbols that are synonymous with the gang, such as swastikas and the slanted. SS symbol. Boo! Yeah, that are said to be included uh, to provide a contradiction with the British symbol of the bulldog. I don't know. Makes sense. Like most gangs, the mongrel mob is involved in organized crime and thus has been associated with an aggressive and feared stereotype of how people uh, these people live their lives. You just said stereotype like a New Zealander. Did I? Yeah, you went stereotype. <laughs> Weird. Maybe it's how he spelled it. Nope. Stereotype. What I think is overlooked, though, guys, is uh, the communal family roles that gangs or chapters inherit because of the need of an individual. And we did talk about that some. Yeah. Don't know how you got that as overlooked, buddy. (laughs) He's a nice fellow. At least in some parts of New Zealand, the mob is seen as an ingrained part of the community and a source of solidarity. Uh, And I've thrown a link to a Vice article below about a photographer who spent eight years with the mob documenting and taking portraits, amazing portraits, um, of some of his members. And Vice is awesome, so we'll always plug them. So just look up uh, Portraits of New Zealand's Mighty Mongrel Mob from Vice.com. It's pretty neat. And he said, thanks, guys. Love your work. You've killed a lot of potential silence over the years. Professional silence killers. Band name? Yeah. Killer with their bare hands. Uh, Regards from the long white cloud. I guess that's New Zealand? Stereotype. Sam Vanderkolk. Great name. Yeah. Excellent name. Throw a, a little Dutchiness in there. Great name. Dutch Tilt. Vanderkolk. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks a lot, Sam. Also, somebody, I don't know who it was, so I apologize to you if you're listening, tweeted to us um, an article that I have yet to read but looks awesome. It's about Disney gangs. What? <laughs> yeah. 
I will send it to you. Shut up. No, seriously. I, I was looking over it, and I'm like, is this just like a hoax Does article Does that mean gangs like that, that hang out in Disney World and rough people up, or gangs that wear Mickey Mouse costumes? I don't think they rough people up. They don't wear Mickey Mouse costumes, but they wear like, they'll have like Disney gang stuff tattooed on them. They wear like Disney biker jackets with like, their gang symbols have Mickey Mouse involved, and they're like Disney gangs. So they're Disney centered gangs. So you're talking about Holly from Stuff You Missed in History Class. If, if she <laughs> isn't a member, then she at least knows a member. There's no way yeah. she doesn't. Or she just doesn't know about it yet. There's no way. Yeah. She's too into Disney. Agreed. Uh, so if you uh, want to get in touch with us to let us know about a gang in your area or a base jump that you did or whatever, uh, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Hey, everybody, if you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions.